Coming home well, I'm your host, Tyler Piron, and today is the beginning of our special and very educational session on understanding how the Veterans Administration rates veterans for disability and all the tips, tricks, knowledge, and understanding that you need, whether you've been involved with it for 20 years or just getting out. We're going to talk about a number of different topics and how things work. So you go into this process with an understanding of sort of how it works. You know, every case is going to be different. But in order to answer some of the questions, we have Sam Cohen Allen. She's an appeals specialist at the Department of Veterans Services. And Sam has been on the show before. We've got another recording with her. But we asked her to come back, and we have a number of other specialists at the Department of Veterans Services that are going to answer with expert advice here in the Commonwealth how and why and the ways things happen and how to get help. And it's totally free from the Department of Veterans Services, but they want you to know all the things that you need to know in order to have a good experience with the entire process. It's confusing. It's confounding. It's based in law. And, and lots of practice and things sometimes really don't make a lot of sense until you understand all the, the nits and, and bits and parts and pieces. So in order to get into that, we're going to talk with Sam. Thank you so much for joining us on Coming Home Well. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Tyler. So let's talk about some of the big concepts. What is a disability evaluation and how is the state of or the Commonwealth of Virginia interact with the federal government with that process? Yeah, it's a good question. I think, like you said, it's an overly complicated process and we try to help simplify it. If you look at the VA rating schedule, when, it, when a veteran files a claim, the state is not tasked with assigning an evaluation for that disability. What we try to do is help them to understand the VA's schedule for rating disabilities. And so the, the schedule for rating disabilities is broken up by body system, depending on the disability you're filing for. And it's all public. So you can go to benefits.va.gov, you can look up the rating schedule so you have a clear understanding of what the uh, evidence is that's required for the rating that you're going to get, specifically what the level of severity is that, that will assign the evaluation for your disability. And if you're going to really simplify it, the, the rating schedule will assign a disability based on the severity of your symptoms. So you're filing a claim, you are trying to get service connected for sleep apnea, let's say. There is a clear Guide, guideline for what the VA will look at to understand the level of severity for your sleep apnea, which will result in an evaluation. And that evaluation will result in compensation. So it's all very clear. You don't say that too often about you know, some of this claims process, but I would say that if you look at the rating schedule, you can actually look up the disability you're filing for what the symptoms are, what the level of severity is, and you can have a pretty good understanding of what evaluation you'll be assigned. Of course, there's a lot of steps we have to take before you get to that process, but that's where you start by looking at the schedule for rating disabilities, understanding what you're filing for and where you, you fall in, in that criteria. And we talked about it last time. The two parts you have to have is service connection and a current problem. And you're talking about the current problem. We've already talked a lot about the service connection that it has some connection to your service. A sleep apnea 40 years later and you've gained 150 pounds might be a little less tenable than if uh, it's just a couple of years or you have lots of, of demonstrated evidence that it was occurring in service. Mm -hmm. Those are the two things. So that getting the service connection out of it. And then the second half is what we're going to focus on today. So the VASRD, it's all public law. You can go look it up, benefits.va.gov. It's super easy. Now, the hard part is looking at it objectively. 
because some of it you might think is way worse. Your case is way worse or my case or whomever's case, but they're looking at it. What does the medical evidence say? Now, if you're missing a leg at the knee, that's pretty clear. But how much does something hurt? Well, that's really hard to measure. So how do they do that? Yeah. And and honestly, it all starts with the claim filing process. So like you said, once we've established service connection, and again, you'll file a claim, you'll be examined by the VA inevitably. So you'll let's say you file a claim for migraine headaches. You'll put in that you had migraine headaches that had their onset while you were on active duty. You've had them since you were on active duty. They've gone to a point where they are so debilitating that you feel that you need help from the VA and that this began in in service. So you you want to obtain compensation and potentially treatment for those migraine headaches. So you file your claim and you'll be examined by right now, the VA is typically contracting out most of their examinations. So for years, the VA would have CMP exams conducted by CMP examiners. Nowadays, we're seeing contract exams and these acronyms may be very familiar to some of your veterans. We have LHI. stands for compensation and pension. Yes, exactly. Compensation and pension exams. And so, again, it's very distinct from treatment. So the compensation and pension exam is to evaluate you for compensation purposes. And and that's exactly what that examiner will do, whether it's LHI, QTC, VES, I believe is another one. You'll be contracted out for that exam. You'll be notified directly to attend an exam on X day at X time. You'll show up. And we can talk about all the ways an exam could go well or not well, but for all intents and purposes, let's assume your exam goes flawlessly. You have a very uh, productive and attentive examiner. They'll ask you a series of questions. They'll do a physical exam component as well. They'll also typically review your file beforehand or in conjunction with the exam. And then we they will hope so. Uh, you would hope so. But um, not always. Not always. And we know that they don't have a ton of time, given how many claims are filed and how many exams are are scheduled. We know that examiners have a very limited amount of time with the veteran, not only in person at the exam, but to review the file in conjunction with that exam. So we want to make the most of the exam, which is why oftentimes, if we can, we'll say, once you get your exam letter in the mail, give us a call. We can walk you through what to expect things that might not sit well. You keep in mind, like if you're in there and the examiner is ignoring you or he's talking about a football game or, or something that is very, very strange, that should set off some alarms in your head. If an exam is three minutes, it was for your feet and they didn't take off your shoes. That's also something that we want to be mindful of. And we can we deal with those things as they come. There's only so much we can do to avoid an inadequate exam. But that exam will be the basis of the evaluation the VA proposes you're assigned, they're also supposed to consider all of your other medical evidence. So they have to get all of your treatment records. If you're seen by the VA, they'll upload your VA medical center treatment records. If you get care outside of the VA, they'll have you submit all of those documents so they can review them. Of course, you might have decades of private treatment. They're going to want to see that but it may still come down to what is very frustrating is that VA exam. And so that's why this VA exam is so important that you attend. And the questions that you're asked typically align very perfectly with the rating schedule. So when you're in that exam, they're going to ask you questions that you'll see will parallel the evaluation that is listed in that rating schedule online. In some ways, you can anticipate what your rating ought to be. In others, you'll likely disagree with your rating and we have we have ways to address that too. Now, I know it's for some period of time they were using a checklist. Are they still doing that? So they have the disability benefits questionnaires. Those are public facing questionnaires. We call them DBQs. And typically they will follow that DBQ in the exam. So what we'll do sometimes is we'll ask a veteran, if you have a private doctor, we'll print them off a DBQ and say, bring this to your doctor. And if they'll do that evaluation for you, we can present that as evidence that perfectly aligns with what the VA is looking at with respect to how they're going to evaluate you. Oftentimes, if you only get treatment at a VA medical center, they're not going to fill that out. They're going to say, you need to file a claim or you need to file a claim for increase. And then they'll do that DBQ for you. But 
But yes, in theory, that list of questions and the different range of motion evaluations that they'll do, depending on the musculoskeletal condition, if it's a mental health condition, the series of questions they should ask you, all of that is typically embedded in these DBQs that, again, are available on the VA website. I think that brings us to one of the biggest misnomers that people that sort of go into this process is, oh, my back hurts, my arm hurts, whatever hurts. And they don't understand that it's really hard to measure. And it may really hurt. I don't disagree with you, but the VA is going, we don't have any proof of that. So my back hurts. That's a pretty common refrain, carrying way too much gear. Soldiers are way overloaded. The services recognize this. But just because you're an infantryman or an airborne or whatever for X number of years is not proof, prima facie proof that your back has an injury. So how do they deal with that? Yeah. And and that's a really good point is that how do you prove that you are in such an amount of pain that you are, you have functional loss, let's say you're having a reduction in your earning capacity. You're having a, a difficult time completing your activities of daily living. The VA does have specific questions and measurements they are supposed to do that do correlate with the rating schedule. If you're in pain, you can be compensated for pain. Typically, you're compensated for 10% for pain. And then for the back, it it also depends on if you're having incapacitating episodes, if you're losing time at work. So all of those factors are measured. For, For migraines, for example, what I find to be really helpful is when a veteran keeps a migraine log, they can track how frequent they're having migraines and how severe. There are apps also that I've had veterans show me that they can use so they can log their pain. So if they're having, let's say on a weekly basis, they have a headache three times a week and they have a bad migraine one day a week. How do you differentiate between the migraine and then the headache? Well, the migraine, I couldn't go into work. I had to call out sick or I couldn't pick up my kids from school. I had to stay home. Annotating that and keeping a diary of it is, is actually medical evidence that we can use to support uh, a level of severity the veteran is claiming that may not be captured in an exam because you know that you're not necessarily going to be examined on your worst day. That's something that we don't have any control over. The veteran doesn't have any control over. So I like to tell a veteran, think about your worst day and your best day. What's the range? And and share that with the doctor. If you can bend down and touch your toes after you've had your, if you've taken your pain medication for the day, that's one thing. But what about when you first wake up in the day and you haven't been able to sleep all night because you're in so much pain and your wife or your husband has to tie your shoes for you? We like to really paint a broad picture of how the disability, regardless of what the disability is impacting them, not only at home, but at work. You know, that's a really good way to put it, because I know there's two extremes. There's some people that may be, let's say, exaggerating how bad things are. And then there's probably the most people that are they are tough and they minimize the effect. Like, ah, I just deal with it. Ah, it's good. Ah. Meanwhile, they're missing like two weeks out of work and Mm -hmm. they're having some work difficulties because of of not being able to come into work or what have you. And they don't like to talk about it because that's like kind of weak or perceived by them as weak. And the military is famous for this. Don't go to sick call. Don't be a sick call ranger. Don't get that physical therapy. We've got a field problem to go to, which is crazy. But that's very much uh, time eternal. So it's not like even one generation. It's as much today as it was 30 years ago or 50 years ago. But getting back to the whole concept of being honest about what's going on. Don't go in there with the idea that it's, I'll just minimize and sort of like I'm talking with a buddy. No, you got to do the, hey, this is how it is on the worst. And today I'm like half or most or not. Today's a great day. Right. But most days aren't like this, but just be honest. Exactly. And I think your point is well made about how it's not specific to generation. It's also not specific to branch of service. So we have many veterans who carry that mentality of not going to sick call like you said, into their civilian life or post-active service life, whether they retired or served two years, four years, what have you, when up until the point where they're in so much agony or pain or their spouse has nagged them enough to where they finally file a claim, if they get to the exam and they're not forthright about what's really going on, it, it does have a direct impact in how they'll be evaluated by the VA for compensation purposes. We see this so often, especially with our veterans who are cancer survivors, who 
once their cancer goes into remission, their ratings, and we'll talk a little bit about this later on, their rating will be reduced once their cancer is no longer active. And it'll be reduced based on the residuals of the cancers. And Honestly, I've seen this so often and I get it. A veteran who has prostate cancer oftentimes will have urinary incontinence issues or they'll need to use Depends. It's something that they're very uncomfortable talking about with an examiner, but it's a reality that they have no control over. It's an unfortunate side effect of the cancer. We're so happy that they've survived the cancer. We're now evaluating their body system based on how life is after cancer. And if they need to wear Depends or absorbent materials, it's not something they want to talk to talk about. It's not something that they want to tell an examiner about. And it actually is embedded in the rating schedule. How many times they have to change absorbent materials directly correlates with what rating they'll get once their cancer goes into remission. So being honest about that, it's not something to be ashamed of. Um, It's something that the VA needs to understand so they can properly compensate you. And so for anybody who's having that struggle, when you go to that exam, be honest. The VA is the only person who's going to know other than the advocate like myself, who's going to help you get the rating you're entitled to. But you have to be honest about that. And again, it's challenging, but it is in your best interest to do that. It directly relates to the compensation that you're entitled to. And that's where you go back to the VA SRD and it explains it in explicit detail. And mm-hmm. these people are not making it up as they go along. They're going like every clerk I've ever dealt with, whether in service or anywhere else. If I know exactly what they need and I give them exactly what they're looking for, I'm going to get the results that I expect. Right. It's no different. It's just, hey, this is this. And then it says this. So that the easiest thing to do as a bureaucrat is say no. If something's missing, if something isn't there, or if it isn't right. But if everything is there and you make it easy to say yes, they're going to say yes, because that's less work. Right. They I mean, want, and they ha- and they the want to help you. Yeah, they, they want to help you. It's And that's the goal. If, if we can grant the disability, if we can ev- give you that evaluation, if the evidence shows that you meet that requirement, then we must. Then the VA must do that. So you're exactly right. So the VASRD, it's all available online. Whatever your ailment is, go check it out. And you'll see pretty close. You might not understand the medical terms, but you can go Google those. They're pretty easy. Or you can go ask somebody. There's a lot of ways to figure out some of those very specific medical terms, but it's all right there. And it's not like rocket scientists. Oh, I can move my arm this amount. Well, you may not be able to measure that, but you'll have a pretty good idea. Or, Or with migraines. One of the biggest things, it was almost a scandal about how the Army was dealing with migraines for years. They had all these extra criteria that were not in the VASRD when Mm -hmm. folks were getting medically retired. And so they had you had to see a neurologist for this amount of time, these number of emergency room visits, and it was way above what the VASRD was saying. And so they finally said, hey, we're going to follow the same standard, which like that should have been the way all along. But it's really hard for the folks that were examining folks to really see what was happening. If you don't go see the doctor or -hmm. don't go get help, especially for something that is is, uh, impactful as a migraine and and you're totally zonked out and you can't do anything, but you never go get help. It's Mm -hmm. a lot harder for them to come up with a good case that you deserve a, a really good rating because you didn't do anything about it. And that applies to a lot of stuff. Now, if you're missing a leg or something like that, that's just the way it is. And But if it's these other conditions and you don't get help, they're going to be like, well, we don't really know how bad it is. Yeah. And documenting it is so important, like you said, because, again, back to in service, when veterans go, when then active duty military would go to sick call for a migraine, oftentimes I hear that they'll be told to take Motrin and then they just stop going because they're just going to give them Motrin. And there's this stigma associated with going to get Motrin. But when it's so bad that you are nauseous or you're vomiting or you can't get out of bed, you can't can't stand up. When you get into, you know, post-military life, you have to sort of change your mindset of, okay, 
I, I need help for this. I need to document this, especially when you find that it's it's a, a impacting your ability to work. So when you have a functional impairment and reducing your earning capacity, then you'll take it maybe perhaps more seriously. And that's exactly what correlates with the VA rating schedule. How does this reduce your ability to earn income? By what percent? That That's essentially what it comes down to. And that's what they look at. So for a 50% migraine, they're looking at, does this impact your ability to earn an income? And are you having to miss work so frequently that it's having that negative impact on your day to day? And that's something that has to be documented. Again, whether it's a migraine log or you're going to the VA medical center, you're on um, medication. There's a lot you can actually do for a migraine. You don't need to just suffer through it. And that's the same for, for a lot of these other disabilities, but documenting it, getting that treatment, that onus is on the veteran to do that. And that will help them throughout the compensation process. We've talked about making a claim, figuring out what sort of range of disability you have for each condition. You can go look it up in the VASRD, and then you go get evaluated. Uh, or, or you have a CMP exam, and then the VA makes an evaluation. So let's talk about the monkey in the room, which is the combined rating schema, which is always misunderstood. We, oh, I've, I'm 240% disabled. Well, no, that's why you're at 80%. So it's really kind of challenging to explain this to folks. So I always use it that you start at 100%. You're totally fine. Everything's good. And they always do the largest rating first. So if you're 50% disabled from migraines, like you were talking about, that goes first. So now you are only 50% good. And then you have another 50% for something else. I don't know what else, uh, sleep apnea or something. So mm-hmm. you've had 50% and another 50%. That doesn't make you 100%. Because the 50% on the next is on your 50% of the good part. So 50% of 50% is 25%. Oh, okay. Then you round up. So now you're at 80%. You say, but I got two 50%. No, you're at 80%. So you're 20% good. Now imagine you had another 50%. So you're at like 150%. But it's on the 20% that's good left, except they round it up. See, it's really 24%. So 50% of 24%, and I don't do math in public, but that's 12 and a half, maybe 13. Then Yeah, that. So now you're in the 90 range. Oh, okay. It rounds up, but it still rounds down to 90. So even though you have 150%, three different things, 50, 50, 50, you're still at 90. That's why it's so challenging for folks that are trying to get to 100%, which I don't recommend. Uh, Gaming the system is really quite challenging. And it opens you up to, well, things that you don't really want which is a complete reevaluation of mm-hmm. things that may not be as, as limiting now that they were years ago. Well, these ratings are fluid because it's supposed to be at that time. But some things, some ratings are protected and there's certain timelines associated with that. So what are those protected ratings? Yeah. And I think you did a a good job of trying to explain what is not a common sense approach to to math, right? I will plug the VA has done a really good job of explaining this on their website, va.gov forward slash disability forward slash about dash disability dash ratings forward slash. And they they actually walk through how they calculate your combined disability rating, which again is, is more than just adding up your individual ratings because not always does two plus two equals equal four in VA land. And they have a calculator on there. You can put in your disability ratings in there and they can calculate. They talk about what a disability rating is and, and what VA uses to decide their rating, which again, we just touched on with the rating schedule. And then everything related to how you might want to understand this on your own. I would have you check out the VA website for that. I think that they've had so many questions because it doesn't make sense that they've finally done a pretty good job of trying to explain and they have a lot of information on their website. So I'll just, I'll plug that. If you're curious, spend some time going to that website on va.gov and you can learn a little bit about that there. As it relates to your rating and whether or not you have that rating for life, is it protected? What happens to maybe ruffle the feathers of your rating? I'll be glad to talk a little bit about what goes into that and why the VA looks at 
at your rating over time. And, and Tyler said, you may have something that worsens over time and you don't realize that filing for a claim for increase could actually inadvertently have an adverse effect on your evaluation. And again, all of this is based on medical evidence, right? So let's say you you file a claim where you just get out of service, you get 90% overall, which includes 70% for mental health and a few other musculoskeletal conditions, 10% for tinnitus. So you've got 90% overall and you've had that rating for about a year and you decide things are are getting more challenging. I'm so close to 100%. I think I'm going to file a claim for increase. I'm going to try to get my 90% up to 100%. And you file a claim for increase in your mental health. You file a claim for increase in your tinnitus and you file a claim for increase in your back. And at that point, the VA is going to reevaluate you for all of those conditions. Getting from 70% to 100% for mental health is challenging. There are, again, the rating schedule does list exactly what's considered with respect to how to get that increased evaluation, but 70% to 100% is a pretty dramatic jump for mental health. So if you're at 70% for mental health alone, whether that's depression, PTSD, anxiety, a combination of all of that drug or alcohol abuse disorder, or you're in remission, what whatever the case may be, bef- certainly we would not encourage you to file that claim on your own. We would really strongly advise you to reach out to the Virginia Department of Veteran Services so we can walk through the rating schedule with you and say, listen, here's what your treatment records show. Here's what you're telling me. Here's what the VA looks at. We would advise you not to file a claim for increase at this time. We, we may be very candid about that because you're going to end up doing more harm than good. Again, you've only had that rating for one year. So another thing we might do at that time is say, Filing a claim for increase in tinnitus, you're, you can only get 10% for tinnitus. So it would make no sense to file a claim for increase when you're already receiving the maximum allowed by law. Same for migraines. You can't receive greater than 50%. And we've had situations where a veteran will file on their own a claim for increase They'll be examined and they're already receiving the maximum, but the VA will review the exam and the file and propose to reduce them to a lower rating. And so you really are in a worse place than when you started, when you do something like that. Same thing for a back disability. So we want to look at exactly what the VA is going to look at. We want to understand your perspective on how you've worsened, what the medical evidence shows, and then have a conversation about all of those entities together. So you don't put yourself in a position where you file a claim for increase because you feel like you're worse but the medical evidence doesn't support a worsening to rise to the level of the next highest rating in the rating schedule. And then you're being proposed to be reduced because your rating isn't protected. And a protected rating isn't isn't in effect after a year of being service-connected. There are, largely we like to look at the five-year rule and the 20-year rule. For five years, the VA can't reduce your disability if it's been in place for five years unless there's sustained improvement that is shown by medical evidence over time. So So what does that mean? Yeah, so what that means is if you file a claim, you've been rated for, let's say, five years for... Again, we'll just use migraines. I know I keep coming back to it, but it just it's something we see so frequently for veterans across many periods of war. So you file a claim for increase because you feel like your migraines have gotten worse. You're rated at 30 percent. You've been rated at 30 percent for five years. You believe that you rise to the 50 percent level. You get examined by the VA and they For whatever reason, whether it's you're having a great day and you didn't share with them how bad things really are, or your examiner wasn't paying attention to you and and wasn't writing down what you were saying, you had an inadequate exam in effect, they might say, veteran appears to improve, have improved, we're proposing to reduce them to 30%. So in that case, if you've had that rating for five years, You can't be reduced based on that one exam. What the VA will say is, while this exam shows some improvement, sustained improvement has not been demonstrated. However, because of that, we will schedule you for a future exam because of the likelihood of continued improvement. So you're you're now opening the door to being re-examined in the future because this one exam, even if it was a bad exam, 
showed that you had some signs of improvement. And so then you're likely to be re-examined maybe a year or two, and then they'll re-examine you, let's say in two years. At that time, if you have another bad exam or it's another instance where the examiner wasn't writing what you were saying or you were having a good day and you weren't being totally honest, those two instances of improvement would rise to the level of sustained improvement showed over time. And your rating that was in effect for five years could then be reduced and you would get a proposed reduction letter and go through that process. And so I'll talk a little bit about the the proposed reduction process as well, because we see it so often. And I'm sure you either had it happen to you or you've heard about it happening to another veteran. And Oh, you hear about it. All the time. And it's so frustrating. And we do hearing, we represent veterans who request hearings to refute their proposed reductions because there's nothing worse than getting a letter after you file a claim for increase because you feel like you've gone worse, only to be told by the VA that you've improved. And because of that, we're going to reduce your compensation. We know that veterans rely on this compensation for their livelihood. We understand that. That's the entire point of it. That's the point. Right. And for many of them, they become reliant on this monthly income, regardless of what they spend it on, whether that's how I pay for my car insurance, that's how I pay for my bills, that's how I pay for whatever. It's nobody's business what you use that money for. The point is that you get it, you can rely on it on a monthly basis until you you don't, until there's something that happens that, you know, takes that away. And, and at that point, you'll get a letter and it'll be like a rating decision notification letter that'll be very familiar um, to any other decision letter you've gotten. However, this one will say, we are proposing to reduce your service-connected disabilities from, let's say, from 50% to 30%, which will reduce your overall rating from 90% to 80%. So it'll show you the reduction for the individual disability. Again, that's proposed. And then how that would impact your overall rating. And they'll tell you exactly what that changes in the compensation, which is typically pretty extensive. Even if you're going down by 10, 20, 30%, it can be hundreds and hundreds of dollars. The challenge is not getting so, not having that letter be so jarring that you don't follow the instructions of what do I do next, right? You, I've heard of veterans who threw the letter away, they were so angry or I had one tell me they threw it in a fireplace and then, you know, I get it. It does elicit that sort of like visceral reaction, but. But ignoring it doesn't make it better, does it? No, it it (laughs) really doesn't. You do not serve yourself well if you ignore that letter. When you get a proposed reduction letter, again, you can come to us. If you're not already working with us, call us and say, here's the situation. I really need representation and help. We can take on representation and we can help you through this process, but we have a very limited time to do it. You have 30 days from the day of your notification letter to request a personal hearing. And a personal hearing I will say they're being done virtually right now, which is really helpful. So a veteran doesn't have to drive from the Eastern shore all the way to the regional office in Roanoke, Virginia. That's how it was for years leading up to the pandemic, believe it or not. People would have to drive all the way to Roanoke. It can be five, six hours. And And if you're taking the ferry off the Eastern shore, yeah, that's crazy. It's a day, it can be over a day. And, and of course, the VA doesn't reimburse you the way they, they would if you were going to an appointment for medical care. In this instance, it's much easier for us to refute a proposed reduction because we can do this hearing over the phone or video. We can do it virtually. We always encourage you, if you get this letter, what's the first thing you do? You have 30 days from the day of the letter to request a hearing to say, I disagree with this proposed reduction. I'm requesting a personal hearing. If you do that, they will not reduce your benefit until you have your opportunity to be heard. So it safeguards the additional time for you to work on the next piece of this, which is gathering evidence to show that you have not improved and your rating shouldn't be reduced. And that's really important too, because you can request a hearing, but if your hearing is then scheduled and we don't have anything to show as to why you haven't uh, improved were where we were previously, which it's your word against the VA, so to speak. It's your word against the exam that you had. So the other piece of this is 30 days from the letter you request a hearing, and then you have 60 days from the letter 
to submit evidence to the VA. I will add that if you request a hearing, we can submit evidence at the hearing itself. So you have up until the time of the hearing, which is, we're seeing it take months to a year, if not longer for those hearings. to. Yeah, which is why it's so important that you request a hearing because you're going to continue to get paid at that level until you're hearing. And then ideally, we'll be able to have enough evidence and argument to avoid the reduction at the hearing. But it's we have a very tight timeline. And then once your hearing scheduled, you'll have typically you'll have 30 to 60 days notice and we'll be on notice as well as your representative. We'll help you with the hearing. We'll say, listen. We need you to get your treatment records from your private doctor. We need you to get statements from your coworkers. We need to see your migraine log. We need to talk, do all these things that we've talked about to help show that you haven't magically improved overnight. And, and then there's the other component of let's look at that exam you had from the VA. And, and typically my first question when I'm assigned a hearing for a proposed reduction, if it's based off a bad exam, I'll say, do you remember that exam that you had? And they'll say, oh, let me tell you about that exam that I had. That doctor didn't even know why I was there. They spent five minutes with me. They didn't look at me. They were talking to my wife or my husband. They were talking about the football game they saw over the weekend. They didn't examine me. So oftentimes we'll start to understand a little bit more about why this reduction was proposed. Again, that's not every time. Sometimes there is an improvement shown. We can't avoid some of those exams that show the veteran could bend over and touch their toes or seemed perfectly fine. There are certain instances where we can't avoid a reduction, but there are steps we can take when the reduction is improper to try to help the veteran help themselves and not let that reduction go into effect. And from the beginning, it starts with requesting a hearing, working with a VSO, if not us, another VSO, and then understanding what evidence you need to try to avoid that because it does have a direct impact on your level of compensation. And it's something that we see every day. So we talked about stabilized ratings at five years, which Mm -hmm. is sustained improvement over time, usually more than one exam. It's not just like the one time and boom, it's going to be, oh, we had an exam, you're doing better, but you're still okay for now. Second time, oh, now, now we got a problem. Right. And, And that could that be because they scheduled it with you do additional claims? Yeah, absolutely. So the challenge when you file for additional claims is that you're very likely going to be re-examined. So when you have a rating that it's not, again, it's not set in stone. We've talked about the five-year rule. If you file additional claims, and I'll talk a little bit about this as it relates to TDIU, because it's something we see all the time. When you file a claim for TDIU, for example, and let me just back up, TDIU is total disability based on individual unemployability. It's a unique benefit in which the VA will compensate a veteran at 100% for service-connected disabilities that may not necessarily rise to the level of 100% on the rating schedule. The VA math. Right, exactly. And there's two ways they look at it. And I won't go into the law here, but just the foundation here is you have either one service-connected disability that's rated at least at 60% disabling, or you have more than one service-connected disability with one rate at least at 40% disabling with a total combined rating of at least 70%. And if you have those two situations, you would qualify for scheduler consideration for TDIU. And then there's another piece where you can be considered for TDIU if you don't meet that scheduler requirement, but it is more challenging. A perfect example is if you are rated 50% for obstructive sleep apnea and you are adamant that your obstructive sleep apnea prevents you from being able to work and you want to file for TDIU, what will happen is the VA will refer your case to the Director of Compensation Services and they will make a determination as to whether or not your the limitations of your service connected disability warrant entitlement to TDIU because otherwise you don't meet the criteria, the threshold set by the rating schedule. So they have to have kind of an independent party, of course, that still is with the VA, review your file and review the medical evidence. And of course, any medical opinion that's offered as to whether or not your disabilities result in economic impairment 
so as you cannot work because of your disabilities being so severe. And are working, that would not be a good idea to apply for TDIU as you continue to work while you're awaiting a decision. Right. And and I will tell you, though, we have it's challenging. It is a case by case basis, because how do you not work when you are the provider for your family? And there's a couple of veterans that come to mind where we filed for TDIU. They are working in the meantime. The challenge is when you are granted TDIU, not continuing to work. It, I understand it's sort of like social security disability, how they look at how your disability impairs your ability to work. And they'll say it's very similar. They have a different definition of disability, but they look at does your disability prevent you from working? Well, you need to work. People need to work. So they're in a very difficult position to where, yes, their service-connected disabilities are preventing them from working, but they're ha- they have no choice up until now. That's why they're filing for this claim. They're asking for help by getting this benefit so they don't have to continue working for a whole host of reasons. We see IU applied to veterans with many different disabilities, and there's really, it doesn't matter what your disabilities are, the challenge is that you are going to have to explain what disabilities prevent you from maintaining that substantially gainful employment, and then you will be evaluated by the VA for those disabilities. So if you're saying that your PTSD is so bad that you cannot work, you will be evaluated for your mental health condition. They're not going to consider non-service connected disabilities in evaluating you for TDIU. They're going to only focus on your service connected disabilities. So you might have a host of other conditions that aren't service connected that impact your ability to work. But unfortunately, the VA is going to look at this through a pretty, a pretty clear lens of what are you service connected for? How is it impacting your ability to work? And the application process, so there is a form that you fill out. Again, it's the 214140. It's an employment questionnaire. We would also encourage you to get statements from coworkers, anyone that you uh, might have worked under or with, people that you've worked with for years or even just a short amount of time, family members. So there's a lot we can do to bolster an, a claim for TDIU, but when you file for it, you are opening yourself up to be examined for all of those conditions. And again, you can in turn not only be denied for TDIU, but be proposed to be reduced based on that exam um, or a series of exams. So it's a great benefit when we can show that you are eligible and we can establish entitlement, but it is easier said than done. And and that's why working with our agency or a VSO, or at least asking the questions about what goes into filing before you file for it, because it is not something that you automatically get just because you meet the scheduler requirements. In fact, many veterans who are 90% who ought to be getting IU don't get it for a host of reasons. A lot of questions to ask, a lot of things to consider. TDIU is a great benefit, but it is something that we really handle those claims very, very seriously because we don't want to put you in a worse place than than, than before you file. Yeah, you're trying to get it and you're trying to be able to not aggravate everything and all of a sudden you're in a worse position. So we don't have a whole lot of time left. So let's go over the other rules, I guess, the protected ratings. There's a probably, I think there's two more, at least a 20 year. Is there a 10 year as well? I'm trying to recall. I don't remember. There, there is a 10 year. And honestly, it, it's very similar to the five year rule in that it has to, you have to have that sustained improvement shown. And really once you're at 10 years, if you're filing for an increase, you want to do it with the medical evidence to support. You don't want to have 10 years go by where you haven't been in treatment. You got your rating 10 years ago. Let's say you've been 10% for your knee. You want to go in. Ideally, you're very likely worse off than you were 10 years ago, especially as you age. And that's what we say. So for the 10 year, it's very similar to the five year rule in which you have to have sustained improvement shown in order to have that rating reduced. But in a perfect world, you would be going into that claim with medical evidence to show that you have worsened. And the 20-year rule is distinct because if you've been rated at 20 years or more, the VA is prohibited from reducing that rating below that level absent a showing of fraud. And that applies to all the ratings, right? Exactly. Yeah. So exactly. So if you, if there's a showing of fraud, which again does happen, we do see it. The VA 
saw an article the other day where a guy was pretending to be blind for years and drove to his VA appointment and he was actually arrested and convicted, but he was going to these appointments and going to the VA and acting like he's completely blind. And then they they caught him. And that's a pretty easy one. I think they checked and he still had a driver's license and renewed it. And they said, oh, that's not normal with blind people. Yeah. And uh, yeah, they they caught him. I would encourage you to not be dishonest about what you're claiming. And and that goes to sort of the whole, the purpose of this process is we are not at VDVS holding ourselves out there as an entity to say, come to us, we'll get you to 100%. We don't do that. We really will advocate for you and help you based on the medical evidence and the information you're providing us. And we're going to be very frank. We're going to say, it's not a good time right now for you to file for this for X reason. We can file an intent to file and give you a year. And if this worsening continues, your treatment records show it, you lose your job, all of these things, then we're going to be in a much better place to file for this. But you know, when we have a veteran who really is very transparent about wanting to get to a hundred percent, we can't necessarily help them in that pursuit because we are not in the business of perpetuating that. We really believe that it has to be based on the medical evidence. And we also have on the flip side, we have veterans who are, are so disabled. They really are entitled to that a hundred percent, but it's not easy to get them to that a hundred percent. So we have to fight and fight and fight. Whereas for some, it's a little easier to establish. Each veteran is different. Each case is different, but just kind of wrapping up everything we've talked about understanding the rating schedule as it relates to your disability evaluation is critical. Understanding the medical evidence that you need, really important. So you have a good understanding going into this process of what to expect and certain things we can't always prepare for, but that's what we're here to help you with. You have ratings that are protected and not protected. So keep that in mind. And again, the best thing you can do is is work with a VSO, in the Commonwealth of Virginia, absolutely, we're a free service to veterans. If you're in other states, look for a VSO. They should be able to help you understand your rating, what it means, and when what it means to file for an increase, what the implications are. And then if you're proposed to be reduced, biggest takeaway, you have 30 days to request a hearing, strongly encourage you to do that. You can call the VA, 1-800-827-1000, request a personal hearing over the phone. Submit a 4138 to the Evidence Intake Center. Preserve your right to defend your case about why you should not be reduced for whatever reason. Don't throw the notice in the mail and ignore it. Right, right, exactly. Don't throw it away. It's the issue. It's not going to go away. And if you don't respond, the next letter you get will tell you when you're going to be reduced. So really take those proposed reductions seriously. We take them very seriously in the Commonwealth. And then last but not least, TDIU is a wonderful benefit, but it's not easy to establish entitlement and let us help you understand what goes into that. And if we can get you IU, wonderful, but there's also a responsibility in keeping IU. When you get IU, you cannot continue to work, especially if you're maintaining, if you're making money above the, the federal poverty threshold. There's a bunch of information on the VA website about that, but you have to every year verify that you're not working. So you have a responsibility as well. You're getting paid from the VA. There are benefits and and downsides to that, right? You have to verify the information on an annual basis, especially for TDIU. So a lot of information. Hopefully this has been helpful to as many people as possible. And certainly when it elicits questions, you guys know who to call. So We've been talking with Sam Cohen Allen. She's an appeals specialist of the Department of Veterans Services and has been explaining all the ins and outs and ways to prepare for dealing with the VA. Proposed reductions are total disability. TDIU it pays you at 100%, even if you're not 100%, uh, if you can't work for a variety of reasons. Sam, thank you so much for joining us and helping explain these really quite complicated and procedural and bureaucratic things that most of us just shake our head at and go, I don't understand. But it makes sense to some people, and it takes a lot of time and effort to figure out all the nuances and the uh, chips and tricks to make sure that you're doing the best for yourself and not setting yourself up for failure. Nobody likes to do that. And if you have questions, you can reach out to us. You can reach out to the Department of Veterans Services. They're there to help you. They're there to really 
advocate for you, but they have to go with the truth and, and with the facts and not just what you want to happen. That isn't always the case. So we have to caveat that a little bit. Sam, mm-hmm. thank you so much for spending the time with us and helping us explain these really quite complicated things. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. And I hope this was helpful. And I look forward to chatting with you again soon. I can't wait for it. We've got other shows coming up. This is part of the series on the Department of Veteran Services and understanding the VA rating schedule and disability and all those challenges that everybody has. So, Sam, you've done a great job in explaining it. And thanks so much. Absolutely. Thank you. Hey, folks, Tyler here at Coming Home Well. I wanted to give a big shout out to our sponsor, BetterHelp, for sponsoring our podcast. As a veteran-related podcast, we cover a lot of sensitive topics and difficult issues that our military service members face when they return home from war. One of the biggest challenges vets often face is the isolation of today's culture. Nine out of ten times, we prefer just to stay home. Maneuvering through all the chaos in today's society can be debilitating. So reaching out to someone who is qualified to help can be a starting point in moving forward. And that's why I'm proud to announce our connection with BetterHelp.com. That's Better, H-E-L-P.com. BetterHelp.com is one of the leaders in online counseling and will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. So that's a great opportunity to talk to someone and you don't even have to leave your own couch to go sit on someone else's. If you go to betterhelp.com slash coming home well, you can be connected to a therapist in under 48 hours. If you're not comfortable talking over the phone, you could start by texting. They have video chat options, real time options, and you can meet weekly at the discretion of the counselor. Now, this is not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional therapy done securely online. It is someone who's trained in handling veterans' issues and can help you tackle that mountains of struggles together rather than alone. If you go to betterhelp.com slash coming home well, you'll be automatically put in for a discount code of 10% off of your first month of therapy. If you don't see the 10% put on automatically, just put in the discount code coming home well, as this will also get your 10% off. If you're experiencing financial hardships, let them know. There is financial aid available in the form of an extra discount. Again, that is BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com backslash coming home well, all one word. They are great at what they do, and what they do is help us veterans to come home well. Thank you so much for joining us on Coming Home Well. Until all are home and all are well, this is Coming Home Well.